0: We are in our series called Shift, and today we're in a sermon called Name Calling. So let's do a little word association on the screen to get this thing rolling, okay? First one, we, we know what an American is, right? Like you think American, you kind of got that picture in your head. How about this one? We know what a redneck is, right? Some of you want to stand up right now. You're like, yeah, hey, that's me right there. Oh, yeah, right? You're proud of it, too. We know what a police officer is, right? We've got that image in our head. But how about this next word, Christian? Do we know what a Christian is? I would suggest to you that if we were to break our crowd up into groups of five and say, answer this question, what is a Christian? Probably all five of your answers wouldn't match up. Several of them wouldn't anyway. It's kind of an ambiguous term. And if you want to know the truth, it always kind of has been an ambiguous term. In fact, it's only used three times in Scripture. Someone walked up to you on the street and they said, hey, are you a Christian? Some of you would say, sure. Some of you would say, yes, but. Some of you would say, no, but. Some of you would say, I am, but I'm not like that group. Why? Because this word Christian, this name Christian, just kind of is everywhere, especially in our day and age. So how do you become a Christian? How do you become a Christian? Well, let me put three, three things up here that I think are kind of common amongst groups. Uh, one would be pray a prayer. Uh, that's where, you know, most of us uh, that grew up in a church similar to this would say, yeah, that's how you become a Christian. You pray a prayer. Um, How about this one, baptism, some people would say, well, uh, when I got baptized, I became a Christian, or I was told that I got baptized when I was little, so I'm a Christian. Or confirmation, or a class, well, I went through this confirmation, I went through this class, and they told me, now I am a Christian. How do you become a Christian? Well, how about this idea, I was a Christian, Some of you in the room are like, wait a minute, there is no was, right? Either you are a Christian or you aren't a Christian. If you are a Christian, you always are a Christian. Wait a minute, I I was a Christian. But yet, there's this idea that there's this, I was a Christian. I was a Christian. In fact, some of you growing up, you were taught that if you committed certain sins, then you're no longer a Christian. You're now a was. You're out because of what you did. Some of you grew up where that you would say you were Christian, you went to a Christian church, you grew up in a Christian family, and think back to high school and you went to that party where they did some stuff that wasn't Christian stuff, and you drove home five miles under the speed limit. Why? Because you were afraid if you died in a car crash on the way home after being there, that what? You weren't getting into heaven, right? And so you got home and you got on your knees and you prayed and you said, God, I am back. I am so sorry. I want to be a Christian again. In fact, that prayer that you pray, you potentially have prayed hundreds of times just to make sure you're in, just to make sure you're okay. Just to make sure you really are a Christian. Some people would argue that being a Christian is all about what you believe. Some people would argue that being a Christian is all about how you behave. Believe, behave. Which one is it when it comes to Christianity? Well, again, this word Christian and this this, this idea called Christianity, we only find the word Christian in Scripture like three times. And we're going to read about one of them today. Acts chapter 11. And we're going to begin in verse number 19. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. This idea of shift, this idea of God making a change in people through his church. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse number 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. I want to pause here for just a moment. Church has just begun. Jesus has died for our sins. He's come back from the dead. This whole thing called church has just started going. He told them to go. Persecution came in, and as a result, they started going then because they had to run from the persecution. They literally, as the word says there, they've been scattered. Okay, they've been scattered. So they're moving about, and they're going to different places, and you see them listed There. And it says, they preached the word of God, but what? Only to the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He lived in a predominantly Jewish populated area. He first reached Jews. He told them to go and preach the gospel to Jerusalem, which is where the Jews would live, and Judea, where more Jews would live, but then to get outside of that and to go into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, I want you to go to everywhere and to everybody, but this whole idea of Jewish culture and who was in and who was out, the Jews just thought it was them, and so they were just preaching about Jesus to the Jews. Verse number, 50, uh, verse number 20. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. We have two classes, two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Either you were born a Jew and you were in and you were part of that group, or you weren't and you were a Gentile. And this particular group of believers was taking this incredible step of courageous faith and preaching not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. So they began stepping outside of their comfort zone, outside of their normal circles, outside of who they're connected with and who they're supposed to be associating with. They're doing what Jesus told them to do, and they're beginning to preach the gospel to everybody. We're seeing a shift take place that began um, a little bit ago with Peter, if you've been a part of the story in Acts. So they began preaching to The Gentiles. I want to put a map on the screen here for you to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what we're looking at. So, the black parts land, the blue parts water, okay? Um, Over here on the right hand side, um, we see Jerusalem and Judea. That's kind of the epicenter where it all happened. That's where Jesus lived, he walked, it's where he spent his entire life, it's where the church began. And then it talks about Antioch, which is up to the north. This is where they've landed at this point, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And it says that they came to Antioch, not from Jerusalem and Judea, but they came to Antioch from places like Cyrene. Do you see Cyrene way over here? It's in the north part of Africa. The gospel has begun to spread. Now, I don't know this for sure, but if you've been a part of the book of Acts, you remember about a guy who was from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. He met Jesus by faith, and his identity was forever changed. Could it be he went back to Egypt, and he began sharing the gospel because there's believers in Cyrene that have come all the way across to that island that's out there called Cyprus and over into Egypt. Antioch. The gospel is on the move. The shift is beginning to take place that God wanted. Look now verse number 21. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So the Holy Spirit was working in them, through them. They were preaching the gospel of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Jews, Gentiles, everybody was hearing it because they were proclaiming it to them. And it says, and a large number of Gentiles believed. And look at this word, turned. Everybody say turned. turned. It's a very important word. We're going to talk about it more in just a little bit. They turned to the Lord. Next verse. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas, that's not Barabbas. That's a totally different dude. Some of you are like, who's Barabbas? Um, They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas. So here's what's happening. They're up in Antioch. You saw that. Um, All this is happening. The church and the leadership of the church is kind of still hanging out down in Jerusalem. And they've heard what's going on. Like, we got to check this out. This is totally out of the box. I don't know if this ought to be happening. Let's send Barnabas up there. So they sent Barnabas to check it out. Look now in verse number 23. When he, Barnabas, arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Listen how it describes this guy named Barnabas. Filled with joy, and the result of that, he decides to encourage the church. He decides to encourage the believers. Verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. What a description of a guy. Barnabas, they say go, he's like, okay, I'll go. He gets there, he's like, man, God's working. Praise God. He's full of faith, he's full of joy, he's full of encouragement and the Holy Spirit. And it says, and many people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went on to Tarshish looking for Saul. If you don't know about Saul, we've been talking about this guy named Saul. Saul grew up as a Jewish follower of the way of Judaism He is so entrenched in Judaism and their way of doing things that when followers of Jesus came along and the Jesus movement began and the church began, Saul decided that it was his purpose from God to destroy the church. And he went about killing these followers of Jesus. And now... In Scripture, we've seen that Saul has come to turn to the Lord. His life has forever been changed. Barnabas now goes looking for Saul to join him in Antioch. Look now in verse number uh, 26. When he found him, he brought him, Saul, back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Now, I don't know who your favorite Bible teachers are. I probably don't make the list, and that's okay. You just come here because I'm the guy that's here, right? You go somewhere else, and you listen to a way better Bible teacher. I'm not offended by that whatsoever. Hopefully, I lay down a bunt every now and then, and you get something from it. Hopefully, I say something that makes you open your Bible. You know, you're like, I don't know if that's in there, and so you go home, and you open your Bible, right? And you check it out, and if that happens, that's good. I want you to open your Bibles, But can you imagine having these two guys, Barnabas and Saul, talked about all throughout Scripture. Saul, later becoming Paul, wrote nearly half of the New Testament as your Bible teachers. Let's say they showed up twice a day. I don't know what they did, but let's say they did the whole Sunday morning and they did a Sunday night. Paul, Saul, taught on Sunday morning, and Barnabas taught on Sunday night. Can you just imagine, for a year, getting to hear the teachings of Saul Saul, and Barnabas, getting your two favorite Bible teachers like twice a week in person, that's what's going on. Look now at the last part of this verse. This is where I really want to draw your attention to. It was at Antioch, not Jerusalem. It was at Antioch that the believers, the disciples, were first called Christians not at Jerusalem but at Antioch what's happening at Antioch Gentiles are coming to the Lord they are turning to the Lord left and right they are following Jesus Barnabas and Saul are teaching a great movement of God in his church is happening in Antioch this church is exploding with growth and in Antioch these followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Now notice it doesn't say they called themselves Christians. Other people called them Christians. Well, who would have been calling them Christians? Well, there was this group of people that were just normal people. You had the Jews, you had the Gentiles, you had, you know, the people, the haves and the have-nots, but we had these groups, and they were looking at this group of the followers of Jesus, and they didn't know what to call them. They were different and they were so different that they would like, you know what, we got to come up with a whole new class. we got to come up with a name for these people. And they began to call them Christians. In its uh, most literal term, uh, we would be calling them Little Christ. They were like, we think they're acting like Jesus. We think they're acting like the Christ, so we're going to call them Christians. Now when they hurled this name at them, it was not a compliment, it was a condescending uh, name that they would call them. You know how that goes? Like, you remember high school, right? Like, we call people nerds, right? We call people all these different things. There's all these different groups out there. You can have deadheads or goth or whatever. These groups that, you know, they dress alike, they talk alike, they act alike, they think alike, they listen to the same music, and so we're like, there they are. There's that group of people. And there's those groups of people in our minds that are like that. When we call them that name, there's nothing positive about it all. We're like, yeah, that's you over there. You're not one of us. You're different than we are. You're weird. You're strange. You eat on that side of the cafeteria. Don't you dare come over here, and I don't look at you. I don't talk to you. We don't interact. You're, you're over there. You're another group. You stay with your group. And this name Christian on that day, as for many days henceforth, will be a negative term used to call this group followers of Jesus. Again, it's a derogatory term in its conception. And the three times it's used in Scripture, and you can look them up, it's used in a negative way. There's once where uh, Paul goes before a king, and he tries to speak to him. And the king says, you don't want me to become one of those Christians, do you? And he wasn't being positive at all. He's being very negative, like, I don't want to become one of you people. I don't want to be one of you. No, don't want that. And there's another passage in which it talks about persecution of the Christians. And so that name was bringing about persecution in their lives. In Scripture, we don't see the the, the name or the word Christian defined or described. We just don't find that happening in Scripture. So here's the question we think we need to answer this morning. The question we think we need to answer. And here's the question we think we need to answer Are we Christians? Are we Christians? Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian? Are we Christians? Here's the question we need to answer. Are we disciples? Are we disciples? Again, the the name, the word Christian, you can kind of define it any way you want to. Um, There's a a lot of Christian groups out there that I'll be honest with you, I I don't want to have my name attached to them at all. Are you with me? There's a lot of groups and a lot of people out there that would say, I'm a Christian. I'm like, eh, that's not me. That's not us. No, 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 mm -mm, nope. That isn't, nope, uh uh-uh, nope. That's not me. That's not me. But this word disciple is a word that in any language is pretty clearly defined. Let me give you some words that help describe the word disciple. And by the way, if you read scripture, it's the word that followers of Jesus called themselves more than anything. They never called themselves Christians, but they would call themselves disciples. So are we disciples? Here's some words that describe and define this word disciple. Learner, pupil, apprentice, adherent, and follower. Learner, follower, pupil, apprentice, and adherent. In other words... If I'm a disciple of someone, I'm learning from them. If I'm a disciple of someone, I'm adhering to their ways. If I'm a disciple of someone, I'm following them. I'm apprenticing them. I'm becoming like them. And if you remember, Jesus never called us to be Christians, but he called us to be what? His disciples. Why didn't he call us to be Christians? Because we don't even really know what the word means. We don't don't know what it really stands for. But the word disciple Oh, wait a minute, like, look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, listen like Jesus, give like Jesus, go like Jesus? Ah, yes, that's what they were. They were disciples. They were disciples. So today, listen to me very clearly. Today, we are not asking you to consider Christianity. We are asking you today to consider Jesus. 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 We want you to consider who he is. We want you to consider what he did. We want you to wrestle with questions like, did Jesus die for my sins? Wrestle with that. We want you to wrestle with the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Can I find myself believing based on all the accounts we have in Scripture and all the people who witnessed it and all the people who said I was there and I saw him die and I saw him come back from the dead, Can I believe that that happened? Am am I going to follow this person named Jesus because I believe he's got a better way of life? Am I going to follow this one named Jesus because I believe it's through him that I can experience forgiveness? Am I going to be willing to trust in Jesus? Is he worth believing? Is he worth following? Is he someone you want to model your life after? And I'm just here to tell you that everybody in the room in here that's serious about their faith, okay? Everybody in this room that's serious about their faith did not say, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian. Instead, we said, you know what, I looked at Jesus, and I had to choose to follow him. He died for me. He rose again for me. His way of life is the best way to live. He is worth believing. He is worth following. He is worth emulating my life after, and I choose him. I choose him. So here's the question you pose all the time in your life. You may word it a little bit differently, but if you are a disciple of Jesus, here's a question you pose in some shape, form, or fashion consistently in your life, and that is this question. Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? Well, here's your answer Before he even tells you what he wants you to do, if he's your Lord, guess what your answer is? Yes. Wait a minute, I'm gonna tell him yes before he tells me what to do? Yep. Do you know what I really prefer as a parent? I really prefer for my kids to tell me yes, sir, before I even tell them what to do. Why? Because I'm their dad. Why? Because I'm their father. Why? Because I brought them into this world and I can take them out of this world, right? No. Why? Because I hope over time I'm gaining their trust, right? I hope over time they know I'm not going to tell them to jump off a cliff and hurt themselves. I'm going to do them, tell them to do things that are good for them and good for the family. I want them to understand that obedience is very, very important. Now, I'm not the Lord of their life, and I am not perfect, but Jesus, we are saying, is our Lord and we're saying that he is perfect. And so if we're like, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? Our answer is, before you tell me what to do, I just want to go ahead and tell you I'll do it. Well, wait a minute. Whoa, I don't know if I want Jesus to be my Lord or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this whole idea of like being a Christian and like praying a prayer and going to heaven, I like that idea. Woo-hoo! But like telling Jesus I'll do what he wants me to do even before he tells me what to do, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And yet we see in Scripture disciples who were saying yes to Jesus and what he wanted even before he told them what to do. Jesus, I'm trying to make a decision. How would you handle it? What do you want me to do? I'll do it because I think your way is best. I think you've got it figured out. Well, again, we've really got to consider right now, like, how do I become a disciple? How do I become a disciple? Well, I think it involves the same question, and that is this question, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? And here's what he wants you to do to become his follower, to become his, his um, disciple. He wants you to turn to him. He's saying, turn to me. There, We saw that word in scripture earlier. This is where it all begins for you as a disciple. It is to say, you know what? I'm headed this way in my life right now, and it's my way. And if we're honest about my way and your way, which is going this way, my way and your way involves what I want. It involves what I desire, and most of the time, what I want and I desire in and of myself doesn't agree with God. It doesn't agree with His Word. It doesn't agree with His plan. It doesn't agree with His desires. It doesn't agree with His commandments. And so when I go this way and I choose my way, I'm doing things that are wrong. I'm doing things that are sinful. I'm doing things that are causing division and separation between me and God. And if I'm going this way and Jesus says, I want you to follow me by turning to me, I have to turn from my direction and and my sin and my selfishness and I'd say you know what I'm going over here now, and I'm going in a completely different direction. I'm going from sinfulness to forgiveness. I'm going from selfishness to selflessness. I'm going from me being in control of my life, which I really like, to having Jesus in control of my life, because I believe that's the better way of life. I'm turning from me and my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, at some point in your life, you recognized your sin, you recognize your selflessness, and you recognize Jesus as the Savior, and you turned to Him. You turned to Him. And so if you've turned to Him, and He's your Lord, then now you are here to say, what do you want me to do? He says, I want you to turn to me first. Now listen to me very carefully, because this is gonna this is going to stretch a couple of you. It may kind of make you kind of... Just do a little bit of this for a second. Jesus never said, pray a prayer to become my disciple. He didn't say, become baptized to become my disciple. He didn't say, go to a class to become my disciple. He said, I want you to turn to me. Now, can you pray a prayer to express your heart to God and how you're turning to him? Yes, and that's what I did. I prayed a prayer, but it wasn't just a prayer. It was me talking to God and saying to God, you are the Lord. You sent your son to die for my sin. I'm headed in that direction, and I don't want to head that way anymore. I'm turning to you. Did I get baptized? Absolutely I did. What did I do in my baptism? I told the world that I had turned from my sin to Jesus. And by the way, a little thing about baptism, and I encourage you to open your Bibles and read Every single example we have of baptism in scripture is someone coming to faith turning from their sin to Jesus then after that being baptized. Okay? You tell God you want to become his follower and then you tell everybody else you are his follower through baptism. That's what we see over and over and over and over in scripture. And I only tell you that not to tell you you're wrong. I'm not telling you that oh, Bad answer. I'm telling you that because I want to help you follow Jesus. I want to help you follow Jesus. You turn to him and then you start doing what he tells you to do. And baptism is one of those things he tells you to do after you trust in him. Again, to become your Lord, you need to turn from yourself and from your sin and turn to him. So, again, as we think about becoming a disciple, he says, Turn to me. Have you turned to Jesus? Have you turned to Jesus? Same question as we wrestle with this as a disciple. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, I just want to give you some things that we see the disciples here in chapter 11 doing. Just in chapter 11, okay? They're going to come on the screen for you, and here they are. We see people here in the scripture in chapter 11. You can go back through and look. We see them sharing the gospel. This is one of the things that Jesus wants you to do. Well, I don't know if I, like, know enough about the gospel to, like, share it. Well, did you turn from your sin to Jesus? Yeah. Well, then you know enough about the gospel, right? You do. You do. Tell people about your sin. Tell them about being the Savior and share the gospel. The more you share it, the more you'll dig into it, the more you'll know it. But share the gospel. This is one thing that disciples do. It's just a mark of being a disciple. The next part that you see there in Acts chapter 11. You can look at chapter 11. They have God's power. How do I have God's power? Let me tell you how to have God's power. Do what Jesus tells you to do and you will have the power of God. I'm going to repeat that. Do what Jesus tells you to do and you will have the power of God. Right now, some of you in your life, you are going your direction, making your choices, and you're wondering why you don't have the power of God in your life. And I'm talking about in work, and I'm talking about in marriage, and I'm talking about in parenting, and I'm talking about just in life. And you're, you're like, man, I need the power of God in my life. And God's like, I want to give you my power, but you've got to do what I want you to do before I can give you my power. We find them having his power because they were doing what he wanted them to do. Another thing we see here in Scripture that the disciples had and they were doing is they had joy. They had joy. Everybody smile for me. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't smile all the time. I get frustrated. I get angry. Um, I lose my temper. I get mad. I get sad. I get all the range of emotions in my life I do. But what we're seeing here in Scripture is that when your heart and your eyes are on Jesus, He can pull you back out of any of that and give you joy. One of the things I pray for my children all the time, in their presence and by myself with God, is, God, would you help my children to have joy? Joy. That's one of those things that we see in Scripture that describes a believer Encouragement is another one that we see here in chapter eleven. Barnabas, what did he do? He had joy. He's like, you know what? I'll encourage everybody. Car for you, car for you, car for you, right? Like he just... Well, no, but like he 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 did things to help them just enjoy what God was doing and how they could experience it more and say, "Keep going. You're doing great, man." We need that in our lives. And if you think you need encouragement, guess what? The person sitting next to you right now needs it just as much. So turn to them at some point and encourage them. In their walk and in their life. Another thing we see here in chapter 11 is they're full of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not some mystical thing that's over there. It's the power and presence and person of God living inside his disciples. If you have turned from your sin to the Savior, guess what? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He wants to fill you. He wants to control you. He wants to help you. And it happens as we say, yes, Lord Jesus. We also see that disciples are strong in faith. They're just bold. They're like, yeah, we believe God can do it. Now, not some kind of flippant, we're just going to make it up and God's going to do it. But like when God's working and God's moving and we see it in God's word, we're like, yes, we believe that that is true. We believe that that is true. One of the things that I believe is true, and God's just been doing it so much lately, and I pray that one of these days it's happening so often we can't even tell all the stories, but God is changing people's lives here in this community, in and through this body of believers. I'm talking about people who you would mark off your list and say they are a hopeless, helpless case Can't even get through to them. They're so far gone. They're so far over there. And yet we're watching you share your faith with them by faith that our great God can transform their lives. And guess what's happening? God is transforming their lives. And be generous. We didn't read the latter part of chapter 11. But in the latter part of chapter 11, uh, the Holy Spirit tells them that a famine's coming. And so they believe that. And they had faith, and they started taking up a collection. They started taking up an offering, and they were giving, and they were generous because they wanted to help other people that were in need. Generosity is one of those things that describe followers of Jesus. So it's this question, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do? You want me to love others? Sure. You, you want me to worship? Gladly. You want me to serve? Sign me up. You want me to share the gospel? Point me to the right direction, to the right person, and I will do it. You want me to encourage somebody? Put them in front of me, man. I will encourage them. I will encourage them. I will do it. Jesus, if that's what you want me to do, I will do it. Here's the big, big idea. And I know I've kind of said all this and we're coming down to the end, but I want you to get this. Listen to me, disciples. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, believers. Here's what I think with all my heart after reading this, studying this, and unpacking this. Listen to me. We should live our lives for Jesus and let others name us. And we'll say that again. We should live our lives for Jesus and let others name us. Quit wasting your breath telling everybody you're a Christian. Just live for Jesus and let everybody else call you whatever they want to. You mean whatever? Yeah, whatever. Even if it's negative, even if it's not what I want them to call me, be guilty of living for Jesus. If the name Christian gets put on you and that's a positive thing in the culture we live in, great. If you're living for Jesus and the name Christian gets put on you and that's a negative thing in our culture, great. Who cares? Because at the end of the day, we're living for one and his name is Jesus. We should live for Jesus and let others Name us. Maybe we need to quit calling ourselves Christians and we need to spend more time calling on the name of Jesus.